When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Andrea, I don't know about how it's going in New York City, but here in Los Angeles, it is the start of award show season. I mean, can you feel it? I feel it in the air. I know. It's like back to school, but for Hollywood, right? It is. I mean, you can't get a bike at SoulCycle. Barry's is booked out. I'm not usually a guy who gets facials, but I hear it's like hard to get a facial around town. Well, yeah. I mean, it's sort of that energy in the air where everyone's back from summer vacation and they've realized, oh my God, everyone's going to see me. I have a big debut to make on the red carpet. Yeah. Well, we have decided to completely invent an award show. It's the start of red carpet season. It's the start of award show season. And so we've decided to award the best of the 90s and we're calling it the besties. Which is the bestie name ever. (laughs) So Andrea, this is a special bonus episode. And in honor of our special episode, we have an equally special guest who is nominated for two Emmys this year. And that is Mr. Keenan Thompson. He was an enormous star in the 90s. He had his own Nickelodeon show. He's going to tell us all about life in the 90s on Nickelodeon. He'll tell us about SNL. And, you know, he's bringing a little clout to our award show. Not that we needed it, but it's really nice to have. <laughs> it is. I mean, look, it's what's kind of awesome. I mean, Keenan is nominated twice this year for his own eponymous sitcom, Keenan, and his work on SNL. But the real question is, Jason, will Keenan win a bestie? <laughs> Stick around to find out. Live-ish from Los Angeles and Greenwich, Connecticut. Welcome to The Besties, where the best of the 90s is subjectively judged by the hosts of People in the 90s. And now, connected remotely somewhere in the Zoom vortex, here are your hosts, Andrea Laventhal and Jason Sheila. Well, hello, Andrea. Hi, Jason. I mean, how excited are you for the first annual Besties? It gives me great pleasure to ask you, who are you wearing? <laughs> um, I'm wearing a really obnoxious hoodie that is silk screened with ribbons, first place ribbons, last place ribbons. It's from a company called Aries that I got on uh, MrPorter.com, as a matter of fact. I am wearing off the rack Spank Spike shorts. <laughs> I am so excited I can't wait to find out who your winners are, because I certainly know who's winning my besties. It was a very competitive campaign season this year. I mean, the billboards along Sunset for the besties were just packed and jammed with, you know, for your considerations, voted on by two people, Jason and Andrea. I got sent a lot of luxury goods as a Ah. um, bribe. And and you know what? I accepted all of them. (laughs) And you will be winning. Thank you. So I know that for both of us, award shows were formative, particularly in the 90s. Like we just, the world stopped for me in Arkadelphia, Arkansas for any and all award shows, right? I want to go back a little bit and I have to hear about, let's call it Andrea's formative red carpet memories. Like for you, you know, like you're our style and beauty director. Tell me when the hunger started. Right. When did you really fall in love with award shows? Well, Jason, as you probably could guess, I've been judging people's (laughs) outfits from basically birth. So when I realized that like there was this thing like red carpet, celebrities would like walk down it and you could just basically, you know, be a couch critic and judge their dresses and their hair and makeup. I was hooked. I was like, that's what I want to do one day. So yeah, until I actually got paid for it, I just did it for free on my couch. I did find it wild that people would just kind of wake up and then people would like piece them together and put makeup on them and get them dressed and pick out their clothes. And then they would just walk and have their photo taken. Like I remember it looked, it was very like foreign to me (laughs) and I couldn't quite wrap my head around it for a long time. And then we had, there were so many award shows in the nineties, right? I mean, of course there was the Oscars and the Tonys and the Grammys and the Emmys, but there was also like these ancillary kind of rando award shows. There was like, remember the VH1 Fashion and Music Awards? Like that was like actually kind of cool, I have to say. That was one of my favorites. That was an excellent award show and I don't know why they did away with it. Unlike the Blockbuster Awards, which I'm like, what were they for? What I love about 
my life in Los Angeles is that I have become friends with a guy named Stephen Kojakaru. Tonight, I'm sleeping in the middle of that big king-size bed. I am the devil personified. Kojo! Kojo! Kojo. Like, I would watch Kojo on the carpet, right? And he would have bonkers, bizarro interviews with celebrities, right? And so I just, it's so funny that, like, he's friends of friends, and I, like, met him at a party here in L.A. And, like, he's such a part of, like, my award show, you know, in my, deep in my hippocampus knowledge of award show stuff. It's Kojo. That's what I think about is, like, that even more than the awards, it was the rando stuff that you would get from celebrities as they were, like, all, like, gussied up, right? I can't believe you're friends with Kojo. That's so cool. Shout out to Kojo. Hi, I wanted his job. And I have a feeling that like the spirit of Stephen Kojo Caro is with us because we have some truly bonkers categories this year at the Besties. I mean, I think they all make perfect sense, but let's see. (laughs) So Andrew, before we get started, we're going to, instead of saying the Bestie goes to, I say we're going to say the winner is because at some point... It went from the winner is to the Oscar goes to, that no one's really a winner, you know, the Oscar goes to kind of thing. But here on The Besties, we are going to have winners and losers. Is that fair? Yeah, I love a loser. (laughs) I want winners. The winner is. Um, So in the tradition of award shows, Andrea, Chris, our producer, has let it be known that if either of us goes on too long, which is usually you, (laughs) he has given himself full authority to play walk-off music. I can't think of anything more humiliating than getting (laughs) the song when the orchestra just keeps playing louder as you thank God. Especially on your own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So without, you love to say ado, without further ado. We love to ado. (laughs) Why don't you get us started with our first ever besties category at the first ever besties? Okay, so for our first bestie of the bestie awards, It is going to be the best movie quote of the 90s. Okay, for me, the winner is, the first rule of Fight Club is... first rule of Fight Club is... You do not talk about Fight Club. You do not talk about Fight Club. Now, that's my winner, but I I have to give a second place to, and don't judge me because it's so cheesy. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. From Jerry Maguire. Well, if we didn't have You Had Me at Hello as a contender, what kind of 90s award show would this be? (laughs) Not a good one. It's obviously on my list, too. But I ultimately decided to go with Oh, Oh, as if from Clueless. I mean, that's good. That's pretty iconic. I I almost gave it to um, Excuse Me. I believe you have my stapler from Office Space. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) As long as neither one of us chose like life is like a box of chocolates, because that's too cliche. Oh, it's a good one. I know. Okay. Or, or or the call is coming from inside the house. I mean, that's pretty good, too. Wow. There are so many good ones. Yeah, Should we redo it? Let's redo it. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get through none of these categories. Uh, oh, my God. Andrew, it's already started. The walk-off music is playing. We got to move on. Now on to our second category, which is best 90s dance craze. Everything from 1990 with the Carlton all the way through 1998 with the Tootsie Roll, right? There's a lot of dance crazes. So who is the winner of the bestie for the best dance craze of the 90s? I really struggled with this one because as everyone who listens to our podcast knows, I spent the summer of 1995 teaching the Macarena to campers <laughs> at Harbor Hills Day Camp where I was the dance camp teacher. And all I did was the Macarena, which is why I'm not choosing it. Because I I can't and I shan't. I'm going to choose the one that I actually can't do, no matter how many years of lessons I take. You ready? I'm ready. River dance. (laughs) Michael Flatley, I believe, was his name. The Irish jig guy? His legs flail about as if independent from his body. Very Mm. quick with the feet. Uh, Mm. Everything from basically the waist up remains the same, like stagnant. But the feet, the feet just flipped around so fast. Everybody was in a line. I found it thrilling and also terrifying to watch. So I I was thinking about like, you know, there's like the Roger Rabbit. There's the Running Man. There's the Cabbage Patch. There's the Tootsie Roll. All that came out of like, you know, New Jack Swing music. That's like all like, I mean, I, I worked so hard. 
at band camp to learn how to do the Roger Rabbit. I mean, it was like just hours and hours at the dorm trying to perfect it for the end of week dance. But I, I think for like me personally, because this is a personal award show, the winner is Vogue. Right? Like yeah. it's, it's, it has to be like Madonna's Vogue. And I know that like she was inspired by Paris is Burning and all these like, you know, formative dance hall voguing, but like it has to be 1990 Vogue by Madonna, followed by the achy breaky line dance from 1992. <gasps> That's such a good one. I didn't even have that on yep. my list. Our next bestie is the best 90s SNL skit. Now, SNL in the 90s was pretty epic, and we do talk to Keenan about that later in our interview. Even though he wasn't on the show in the 90s, he obviously was a big fan and had a lot of thoughts about the cast. So, Jason, I ask you, who is the winner of your bestie for best SNL skit in the 90s? I am still so in love with this person, and and she was just on White Lotus, and it just reminded me of why I love Molly Shannon so much. I, I just, I, I can watch her just in nearly anything and I find her just so captivating. And as, as like the years go by, I think she's even more of an interesting actor. And so my bestie goes to, the winner is Mary Catherine Gallagher, Superstar. Sometimes when I get nervous, I stick my hands under my arms and then I smell my fingers like that. Superstar! Beautiful. I... Also chose Molly Shannon. <gasps> you did? Although this was one of her duet skits. The Delicious Dish with Anna Gasteyer. Hello, I'm Margaret Jo McCullen. And Molly Shannon. And I'm Terry Rialto. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to The Delicious Dish on National Public Radio. It was a culinary-themed radio show, a parody of public radio, if you will. I mean, hilarious. They were so dry and they would have different guests and please when they had Alec Baldwin doing the Christmas episode with sweaty balls but the thing that I most like to bring out at this time of the year are my balls it won me over it was my favorite so that's what I'm going with the sweaty balls no one can resist my sweaty balls what is next okay next is the best divas performance from the now defunct Award show, VH1 Divas. Live from the Beacon Theater in New York City, VH1 presents Divas Live. Oh, it wasn't an award show. It was a, just a show. It was a celebratory, I don't know, program of divas. What would you call that, Jason? Just a, a diva jamboree? It was a special. It was a special on VH1 that was honoring, you know, the biggest female personalities in music. And it was like a really, I think it was a really great excuse to bring together Mariah Carey and Celine Dean. Oh my God, there was Whitney, there was Shaka Khan, there was Gloria Estefan, Shania Twain, Carol King. We had big names in the show. I mean, there was an entire point of it was to support the Save the Music Foundation. And there were like some really amazing, amazing performances. So Andrea, your bestie goes to which VH1 Divas live performance? I had the hardest time with this category, <laughs> probably because I demanded that we include it. You did. Th- this is this is a category you would not let go. I would not let go. I rewatched so much Divas performances footage. I mean, there was tons. First of all, Mariah Carey should have her own subcategory, okay? She was featured like every single year because you can't do it without her. And obviously Whitney is such a strong contender, but I'm going to give it to the one, the only Celine Dion doing River Deep Mountain High (gasps) in 1998. Cue it, Chris. So it is worth like taking a moment to go back to 1998 like someone at VH1, you know, God bless them, had this idea to bring into one theater, New York Speaking Theater, Celine Dion, Gloria Stefan, Aretha Franklin, Shania Twain. I mean, what was that booking like, right? But for me, the bestie goes to Gloria Stefan because she had like a mega mix that night. She had like conga and rhythm is going to get you in one, two, three and get on your feet. I mean, she did like a lot of songs. She had a mega mix in addition to Heaven's What I Feel. So the winner is Gloria Stefan. 
So, Andrea, our next category on the first annual besties is something that's going to be tough. Best 90s supermodel. Well, I feel like you've been thinking about this since 1990. <laughs> so why don't you kick it off? I know you have. Trust me, this is, I, I think about this on any day. I may have to go with someone, he is still smoking hot. A he? <laughs> you're, you're making a hard left. I wasn't including the men. I make it hard love because I still think he's so cool. I still think he's smoking hot because because uh, it's it's too hard with the women because I it's, I go to like Shalom Harlow and Amber Valletta and the late Stella Tennant and and Kate Moss and Trish Goff. I mean I loved all of this. It, basically anyone who was in a CK one ad or looked like they could have been in a CK one ad. Jenny Schmitzu, like all of those gals were so so awesome. In addition to of course like the one and only Linda Evangelista. But I am gonna go with um, the winner is Tyson Beckford. Wow. Remember Tyson Beckford, like the, the polo ads. Wonderful choice. And in so many ways, like, you know, just like it, he did, you know, redefine, you know, like what a male model could be. Cause he did kind of like, you know, break that fourth wall of like, um, suddenly he was just kind of everywhere. So, um, I'm going to go with Tyson Beckford. That is a fabulous choice. I was not expecting him. He was not on my list, but he was, and still is, I imagine, a stunning specimen of a human, which basically was all we wanted from our supermodels in the 90s, right? And it, totally. And can I say one thing as sure. to why Naomi Campbell is not winning the bestie today? <laughs> because Naomi Campbell, she never stopped modeling. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's like the genius of her is that she's still somehow just as relevant today as she was in 1994. I, I appreciate that you wanted to take the time out to share that as if she's listening and highly <laughs> insulted that you didn't choose her. I'm sure she she feels much better now. That was that was my PSA. Like the more you know. Yeah. You're like just I, footnote. Okay. I went with Stephanie Seymour. What? Fellow Greenwich, Connecticut resident. Oh, come on. <laughs> You, 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 and, you and Steph at Starbucks? Yeah, around the polo fields. So <laughs> Waiting in line at carpool? I loved a brunette supermodel, as we know, because mm. we talked about this with our Cindy Crawford episode. I just felt very connected to the natural brunettes. And I, I felt like maybe one day I would to grow up to be a 5'11", stunning specimen of a woman with sure, perfect okay. body, hair, yeah. cheekbones, what have you. And to me, she was so glamorous, so sexy, so beautiful. Victoria's Secret catalogs. She mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. on Playboy. She was also Vogue. And it was very rare to be able to get all of those, you know, on your resume. She also dated my idol of the early 90s, the one and only Axl Rose. She was in two of my favorite music videos of the 90s, Don't Cry in November Rain. Um, of course, Guns N' Roses. Now we're at the real reason you admire Stephanie Seymour. Uh, she's got the most crazy, glamorous, supermodel muse life one gal could ever hope for. Okay, next we have best 90s workout video or craze. Hi, everybody. Tell me who wants to dance. Hi, Richard. Richard Simmons, of course, sweating with the oldies. Love it. I say let's start sweating. The 90s had a cuckoo amount of VHS tapes fronted by celebrities in an alarming amount of spandex. Right. I mean, sweating to the oldies of Richard Simmons. Um, Latoya Jackson had like a step aerobics video. Of course. So, Andrea, it's for me, there's a clear winner. I'm, there's not even any runners. There's not even nominees for this. The winner is Marky Mark. Yo, what's up, Marky? You know, the, the biggest question people ask me is why am I doing a fitness video? You know, I'm a rapper, you know, but um, I've been into Oh my God, he probably wishes we all forgot that happened. Sadly, there's people like you and me. It was called the Marky Mark Workout. Oh yeah, simple, to the point. In 1993, he was like, you know, all shined up. He was like, you know, shirtless. I mean, the accent was like as thick as his biceps. And it was like a crazy slash really hot workout video. Nice. Uh, I also went for style over substance and chose Cindy Crawford's Shape Your Body. Everyone thinks that models have perfect bodies and everyone thinks that I have a perfect body. And that's definitely not true. Which she recorded with her then trainer, Radu. I met Radu um, in New York and I had never enjoyed working out before and it was hard. Don't get me wrong. 
I thought that was the most glamorous thing ever. She worked out mostly in some kind of like bikini bodysuit hybrid. She did a lot of arm circles and her hair was down, which like, come on, it doesn't get better than that. Working out with your hair down, you have to be like special and beautiful to do that. Like I am now. Marky Mark's hair was down sometimes, but then sometimes he held it back with a backwards baseball cap. Mm, Cindy would never. You feel it, baby? Next, we are at Jason's favorite category, the best sex scene of the 90s. Jason insisted on having this one, much like I insisted on having the best VH1 Divas performance. One of us is in the gutter. very uncomfortable. But it's true. I do like look there's there's a lot of sex in movies anymore right you know like somehow the Avengers don't really have sex and I've been going back and watching a lot of 90s movies lately not only for this for this podcast but for other stuff I'm working on at work and there were some really sizzling sizzling 90s movies from Basic Instinct remember Wild Things I wasn't allowed to see that Disclosure nearly anything Madonna did that was this is you know she started the 90s with erotica Ghost you know I'm saying there's some really you know epic epic sex scenes in the 90s but I think when it when it all comes down to it, I think the winner is for me the 1999 erotic mystery psychological drama Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman in Eyes Wide Shut. It's only a dream. Wow! Explain why, but briefly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is like the famous Stanley Kubrick movie they made together. Um, they spent a lot of time on this, like a really secretive, you know, closed set in London making the movie. And I think that there's all this added intrigue around what the movie was about. And like, you know, the central crux of the movie, you know, takes place at, you know, these sex parties. And so I think there was so much curiosity about what was happening on set and offset that I think it added to the sexual tension of the movie. And I still think it's a pretty damn good movie. And it's hot. You're, I, you're kind of making me want to rewatch it. It's great. Unfortunately, it doesn't come close to my winner. 1996 Fear, starring the couple with no real life chemistry, Reese Witherspoon and Mark Wahlberg. Dang, she went to fear. Two words, Jason. Ferris wheel. <laughs> He was no longer Marky Mark. He was now a established actor. Yes, this is this was one of his first movies as um, Mark Wahlberg. He'd done Basketball Diaries. And he had indeed left behind the Funky Bunch. Now, did I know what was going on? I mean, I brought some class to mine and well, you just went straight to trash. One of us has to start at the bottom. Mm. I really loved that scene. They did it to the Rolling Stones, Wild Horses, a rendition of it. The whole thing made you think that maybe one day you too would meet a tortured orphan who would infiltrate your life, kill your male best friends. <laughs> Have sex with your best friends, your other female best friend, and do things to you on a Ferris wheel that you could only dream about. I don't even think I knew what was happening. I just knew it was special. I know. God. Yeah. yeah. We can end now if you want. <laughs> so uncomfortable. It's really good. All right. That's good. Good Good stuff. Good game. Good game. Okay, so next is best 90s movie prom. The reason why I insisted on the prom category is that, you know, we've talked about the explosion of teen culture in the 90s and nothing, nothing, at least according to the movies, is more seminal in a teenager's life than prom. That's where it all goes down. And so every teen 90s movie had a major prom moment. And I remember them all. (laughs) Jason, there is only one right answer. And the winner is She's All That, which just had a remake this year, which just is a, a testament to how good the movie is. But that prom is the best 90s prom because Usher is the DJ. Yeah, yeah, earthquakes. Right about now, we're going to do that dance. I taught you. And the entire school somehow knows the same professionally choreographed dance moves. I mean, what an amazing prom. Rachel Lee Cook, Freddie Prince Jr., 
Uh, Paul Walker, great cast, great storyline, excellent choreography. Takes the bestie. What about you? There was a lot of prom. Like, I guess we don't have sex in movies anymore. Maybe they don't have proms in the movies either. Like, uh, Jawbreaker had a prom, Never Been Kissed, Virgin Suicides. She's all that. Ten Things I Hate About You. American Pie. Uh, House Party. I am going to go with, like, and Don't Kill Me, a little bit of a left turn here because it's like, it's a dance and kind of a prom. 1997's Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. I mean, in all fairness, they did a choreographed dance in that as well. But um, it was just the two of them, not the entire school. And like, and and how often do you order the businesswoman special? I mean, like every day, all the time. At sweet, at sweet green. It's my favorite thing to say <laughs> to the sixteen-year-old who has no idea what I'm talking about. Um, we need something to go. Okay. Do you have some sort of businesswoman special? Come again? Well, we're businesswomen. Yeah, from LA. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. So Andrea, the next category at the besties, best 90s fragrance. Just give it to me, lay it on me. Who's your winner? As people style and beauty director, Jason, I found this category to be particularly difficult. I found myself really really struggling to choose one favorite. So I made a list. Maybe we can choose together. There was the Gap line, which I was a heaven girl, but I think Dream was like the standout in the collection. As a former Gap Sense specialist at Park Plaza Mall in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, it's grass was the number one seller back then. But anyway. But everybody wanted to be Dream or Heaven. Nobody wanted to be like grass. Okay. So maybe in Arkansas, they were okay with it. But in New Jersey, mm -mm. okay, there was CK1, which was really the scent of a generation. Remember, Remember Margaret Cho saying the 90s smells like CK1. I mean, that's amazing. Epic. And then Clinique Happy, which is basically, you know, just smelled happy and positive. I was none of those things really, but I had it. So... Which is your favorite, Jason? And then maybe you can influence me. For me, when I close my eyes and, and smell the 90s, I smell Issey Miyake's Low DC, oh. which is so beautiful, but it's like everywhere. Like it was just the 90s smells like Issey Miyake or the late, that was the early 90s. And the late 90s smelled like that Abercrombie fragrance. That's really like what the late 90s smelled like for me, like really kind of sharp, acidic, Abercrombie fragrance. But for me, it's um, low DC. Okay. I never really knew how to pronounce it. I definitely did not call it that. So I didn't put it on the list. I'm going to go with Victoria's Secret Pear Glace, which was not on my original list because I also wore that. It was more of a fragrance mist. It was my signature scent for a little bit and um, really light, pleasant. Yeah, that's what I'm going to choose. All right. Keeping it real. Okay. Last but not least, another category that Jason insisted on doing. So I cannot wait for his answer. The best 90s theme song for TV or movie. I really, so I've done my research on this. I know you have. And there's so many just epic songs that defined the pop culture and the decade. It's like, it's that moment when, you know, imagery and music and like really hot celebrities and like, you know, a a good movie trailer, you know, it all kind of comes together in this perfect moment. And it's always defined by the the theme music, right? So you've got like Boomerang, remember the awesome movie Boomerang? Like that's that's where we got um, Into the Road by Boys to Men, who still would never come on our podcast. Alice in Chains Wood from Singles in 1992. Best soundtrack, but that's not the category. You've got Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You, Bodyguard. Um, you've got Tom's Diner from Untamed Heart in 1993 by Suzanne Vega. So I mean, Wicked Game, which by the way, you think Wicked Game like Chris Isaac. No, he actually had two music videos for Wicked Game. One with Helena Christensen, but one with Laura Dern and Nicolas Cage, directed by David Lynch himself for Wild at Heart in 1990. Then, of course, one of my favorites, UB40, Can't Help Fall in Love from Sliver. But 
for me, hands down, the winner. Like, there's no other. The Verve's Bittersweet Symphony from Cruel Intentions in 1999. That's the winner. What is going on? Now, I would agree with you wholeheartedly if I understood what this category was. (laughs) But because I interpreted it in a totally different way, I ended up somewhere very different than you. But now hearing everything you said, I agree. Bittersweet Symphony by The Verb, best song, best scene, great movie. It all came together. It all came together. Yep. I thought we were talking more of like the theme song, like a jingle, if you will, for, you know, like, um, you know, the Seinfeld friends, I'll be there for you. And I chose We Are Living Single from Living Single starring Queen Latifah, written and performed. That's kind of badass. Because I loved the lyric in a 90s kind of world. I'm glad I got my girls. Girl power. I loved that lyric. So there you have it. The oh my first, God, the first ever. Besties. Maybe we should do the worsties. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was great. Wonderful. I can't wait for the after party. Oh, I'll see you in valet. All right, Andrew, so here on The Besties, we have someone who knows a thing or two about award shows and winning awards, and that is Mr. Keenan Thompson. We know him from Nickelodeon. Some of us grew up watching Nickelodeon. Some of us didn't. And so we know him from Keenan and Kel. We know him from Good Burger, and we know him from his staggering 18 and counting seasons on Saturday Night Live, as well as his own sitcom named Keenan. And as if Keenan wasn't busy enough, he also has a podcast called You Already Know. But what we don't know is who he loves to hang out with Offset and who he's best friends with, who's also an Emmy nominee this year at the Emmys, and he's going to tell us all about it. Hello, how are you guys? Hi, Keenan. How are you? Well, Keenan, thank you for joining us on this special episode of People in the 90s. It's our award show special, and you are the perfect guest for it. You've been nominated multiple times for your work on SNL. You've already won once, and this year you are nominated not for one, but for two Emmys. SNL and your work on your own sitcom, Keenan. And it's worth noting that you, um, back in the day, back in the 90s, won yourself a Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Award, too. So let's talk about this year's Emmys. First of all, what does it mean to you to be nominated for a show like with, with your name on it? Oh, man. Incred- Come on. <laughs> That's the supreme. Like, the sitcom was, you know, the promised land anyway for any kind of, like, working comedian trying to get, you know, it's either that or, you know, Johnny's couch. You know what I'm saying? Like, those are two big pinnacle things in your yeah. career, basically. So to have a sitcom named after yourself, you know, regardless of all the pressure of that, that's that's huge. And then to be patted on the back for it, come on, man, it's it's unbelievable. So, you know, I, I'm just over the moon about it. And I'm, I'm taking my W right now. I will be very sauced up at the awards, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> Growing up, we talked on this show about, you know, sitcoms with, you know, named after the comedian, right? Like usually followed by an exclamation mark. What were some of those that were formative for you? I mean, you know, Cosby Show was the biggest thing I had ever experienced growing up as a kid first. And then paying attention and, you know, Good Times, Jefferson's, Different Strokes and all of that. And then the eponymous ones like Martin, you know, Jamie Foxx, Wayne's Brothers, of course, like in Living Colors and, you know, SNLs and stuff like that. But you know, the ones that were named out of this specific comedian, yeah, up to like Seinfeld and beyond, even like Roseanne was in there and just, you know, to watch Bernie Mac show for sure. I think you just got our whole list. I know. One last mm-hmm. Emmy's question. What did your SNL cast mates do for you with, with, with your nominations? How, how did they congratulate you? We all congratulate each other. You know, it's like who can beat each other to their phones first. You know what I'm saying? Because it's different pockets of friendships. You know, people have closer connections based on when they were, if they were hired together or how long, you know, they've known each other outside of work and stuff like that. So we're usually talk to each other in like a group chat. So when an individual hits your text, it's like, oh, snap, we're having like a personal moment and stuff like that, that we probably normally don't have as much, you know. So it's usually a special moment because it's like, oh, I'm speaking to 
you know, this person that I don't get to speak to that often, like without, you know, us all talking together, you know what I mean? So it just feels that much more personable. And then, yeah, I don't know. I think we're going to have to start pranking each other or something because that sounded super boring. (laughs) What I would give to trade you my mom group text chat with like all the moms for the SNL one, because that's like- Uh, Her her Connecticut moms, by the way. Your mom group chat is probably hilarious. Who among the SNL cast sends the dirtiest memes on the text thread? Oh yeah. Mikey's the craziest. And I think probably (laughs) Bowen might be the filthiest. (laughs) Nice. This is nice to know. Yeah. The golden boy. So do you remember your audition for all that? Yeah, I was recently talking about this, about how cocky I was for some reason as a kid when it came to acting, you know what I mean? So I had just finished The Mighty Ducks and in my mind, the director told me he wanted me to meet these producer guys. So it it didn't feel like an audition to me. It felt like more of a meeting, you know? Mm -hmm. I came in there like, what can I do for you guys? You know what I mean? (laughs) You need some voices. I got an old man, I got a Jamaican. What do you want? And yeah, I think I like put my feet up on the desk. I, you know, I think they got a kick out of that or whatever, because there was no nervousness. Basically, I wasn't shook by it being like an audition like I was for Mighty Ducks. That was crazy. I couldn't skate. Oh, they just threw you out on like literally just threw you out on the ice. Yeah. Get out there, do splits all day and uh, try to figure out how to like play hockey all at the same time. Oh, my gosh. In your personal life, what was it like to experience fame at such a young age? Uh, it was slow going, actually. You know, I mean, besides like the Mighty Duck stuff or whatever, but that was a very specific group of people that had seen that movie. And then it was, you know, celebrated, I guess, you know, throughout the generation. So at first it was like cool little pocket of hockey players or whatever. But I guess I wouldn't be around those circles necessarily when I would go back like to Atlanta and stuff like that. So I didn't feel it from that. And then Nickelodeon just took a while because it was cable, you know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. a smaller show. So by the time I was out of those places where I would get recognized, like in Atlanta or in Orlando, and we moved to LA and I was going to college and it was blowing up, like nobody in college was watching Nickelodeon, you know what I mean? So I never like caught up into my fame until like much later, like after probably Good Burger and you know, a few years after Good Burger became like a cult classic type thing. So it, it took a while. That's so surprising because all I wanted to ask you when we were going over our questions is like, did he get to go to the prom? Could he date? Did yeah. girls want to date him because he was famous or just because he was Keenan? Like, how did you know the difference? It was me, baby. It was all I'm you. Was, I mean, they knew, but nobody was really like putting that over like, you know, their high school experience. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody was like, oh my, it wasn't like we were like, you know, BTS or something. (laughs) (laughs) So it really took until college for the fame to hit? Probably even later than that. You know what I mean? I think it really started to like hit, like I was famous early-ish if I would go to like Chuck E. Cheese. You know what I mean? When, you know, it was like little kids at the time and the show was out and it was fresh. Like, yeah, that was a, a famous part. But like the real fame probably came after like SNL for a while. For a certain generation, you were famous back then, for sure. And there's like, you know, some pretty you know esteemed graduates of the All That School, Nick Cannon and Amanda Bynes. And it certainly also really revolutionized kids TV, you know, for what came after it, for sure. Did you realize that you guys were doing something pretty revolutionary? We felt like we were, you know, continuing the torch that was lit by other shows like, you know, Roundhouse had already done the sketch comedy thing or whatever. You can't do that on television. Had done it, you know, at a cool, very big establishing Nickelodeon kind of level. What was the question that got you slimed on? You can't do that on television. Oh, if you said, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you don't, it, I don't know. If you said, I don't know. And they were like Canadian. It was the yeah. oddest show. And I it loved it. Weird. And then, they, you know, my brother and me had happened, you know, so like I think we would we felt like we were just continuing on the, you know, the building of Nickelodeon's legacy. And then like Nickelodeon started exploding, like in other countries and stuff like that. So we felt like, yeah, we had a good hand in helping like push it out to the world with shows that people wanted to watch that, you know, looked relatable to them, especially Keenan and Kel, like across the world. Like I hear a lot of feedback from places like London, of course, but like India and stuff like that. that wow. Brazil, that they just lock in on, on that show specifically. So what was going on with you at home or even, even personally? How did you manage to keep it pretty on the level as a child star, as it were? I mean, like you seem to have stayed pretty. Um, You're pretty normal. I, I hate the word normal, but kind of normal. I know. I'm a mellow fellow, you know, and that's that Taurus in me, I guess. I'm just, you know, 
work focused and close to my family, basically, like you can just keep it at, you know, working home and probably living vicariously through, you know, other people's friendships because all my friends are in Atlanta and I haven't lived in Atlanta since high school. So it's very, I'm either at home or I'm hanging out with other people's friends. So I don't get like too deep into things and wind up in trouble. I don't have any beefs. Did you rebel and we just don't know it? I had my rebellious years, but it was very like mundane. Like, no, I'm going to stay out till four o'clock, not midnight. (laughs) I had this vision like the Nickelodeon crew. Like you guys were a gang of like young actors just like taking over Hollywood. We tried, but they didn't know the show. You know what I'm saying? Like the show wasn't celebrated like that. So I was waiting outside of clubs for years. Like for real, for real. (laughs) I'm picturing like standoff with the Mickey Mouse club. They would be inside because they they were like Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake's and Christina Aguilera's already. You know what I'm saying? So they've been inside like doing it big security because they went like into the music business. Like we were actors. Right. You know what I'm saying? And we were like doing the hustle, basically. So if you weren't like on a show of your own, basically, and doing the Hollywood thing, or if you didn't know people, we were just brand new to L.A., basically. So so Keenan and Kel, you guys were the first black stars of a Nickelodeon sitcom. What did you learn from that experience? Did you guys you know, stop and acknowledge that? Or was that something that you really understood at the time, how groundbreaking that was? Yeah, I mean, we knew it, but I think we were just more like we're the cool guys. You know what I'm saying? Like we had a rapport with each other that was echoing so loud that they wanted to explore that, you know, like us being black was kind of like the obvious thing. You know what I'm saying? It was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I get it. But, you know, the way we work together and like how much time we spend together is rare, I guess, for two people to click like that. Just doing a sketch comedy show as kids or whatever. It was like we were kind of destined to to be in a rhythm together and, and be a team, you know, so. And then you took it to Good Burger. Welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. Can I take your order? <laughs> yeah, and that, I mean, that, you know, just was like Kel's strength, you know what I mean? Like the amount of like laughs and, you know, his abilities doing that sketch brought them to be like, I think we can stretch this into a movie. You know what I mean? Because this kid can like, definitely hold this character up for two hours for sure. And then they threw me in it because, you know, we had been doing things so well, like together for so long, they were like, we just got to figure out a role because I had been in all the Good Burger sketches, but never as one specific character. I was watching clips from Good Burger and Good Burger was hysterical. It was so (laughs) funny, but the critics did not get it at all. Well, unless they're like under 14, you know, it's for <laughs> critics, you know what I mean? Like it's it's for silliness. So it's not supposed to make sense. And the magic of it is watching Kel perform. It's not about like, you know, the dialogue at all. You know? It's it's just about watching him kind of be physical and, and what he's able to do with trying to play dumb, basically, because mm. he's not, <laughs> yeah. not dumb at all, you know, but like all of his responses are, you know, crafted to be as dumb and missing the point as possible. Hey, you look familiar. Don't I know you from somewhere? Maybe I'm someone famous. You know, like a baseball player or a pretty nurse. Huh. What? I mean, what in the world are you talking about? Okay, okay, I give up. <laughs> well, you have to be smart mm. to be dumb. So you did some awesome work with one of the most awesome character actors of all time, the late Abe Vigoda. Can you give us an Abe Vigoda story? One million percent. I remember him being just the sweetest old man. He had no idea who we were. He just knew he was making a movie (laughs) and he knew his role. He knew he was playing the old man escaping in asylum and stuff like that. Do you think you can get me to a hospital? I think I broke my ass. Come on, Otis, get out the way. And he was running and, you know, trying to do his best to keep up. And he knew he was doing that. I don't think he had any idea that, you know, the movie was a sketch or it was on Nickelodeon or what Nickelodeon was. (laughs) But we would tie him up put the gag in his mouth and and I pull the gag down and he would say his line, you know, and sometimes he would stumble or whatever. And we'd have to do it like several times. And I remember, I'm like, God, I can, I feel the spit of a legend on this towel. You know what I mean? Like I'm really engaging in history right now, just by doing this scene with this guy over and over again. He was just so down, you know what I mean? To, to work. Like he never complained and he would tell us stories and, uh, yeah, sweet, 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 sweet man. So one Keenan and Kel question I, I have to ask, is there ever talk of, of a reboot, even even just a, a little, you know, bring, bringing it back? Surely people have asked you. 
there's so much talk. I'm tired of the talk. I want them to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Like I've already said, like, I'm here to do it, you know, basically however it needs to, to mm. get done. So. Mm. So obviously you're very in demand now, but back in the nineties and you were still going on auditions, we love to ask people, who did you always see at auditions? Anthony Anderson. I would always like see his name on the list, whether I would see him at the actual audition or not. He was always like in the running, like that's my brother. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. we've been in the same conversations for characters probably in a lot of things throughout the 90s for sure hmm. so I, i'm an anthony anderson's super fan like i mean we're talking like i, I enjoyed him on law and order you, you know so so are you like an anthony anderson like law and order guy or are you a blackish i'm anthony anderson the departed oh totally can. right oh. i know what that movie did for his career i feel like that before that you know he was a go-to guy for like barbershop and you know uh comic relief roles then but the part it was like, oh shit, this guy's in a Scorsese movie. And then very soon after that, Law and Order, and then like established actor guy with heavy representation. Mm. So comes Blackish, and then comes his executive producership, and ten nominations later. You know what I'm saying? I mean, really, he's a G. I love him to death. It's my brother. So getting to SNL, you became an SL cast member in 2003, but we're assuming that perhaps you were a big fan of it in the nineties. I'm just curious of what you enjoyed about the show during the nineties when there was like such major bits in there. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, the mothership SNL was the mothership of in living colors of, you know, SCTV, I guess, you know, even though it was kind of derivative of that, but it was like the the big beacon, basically. So, you know, everybody was paying attention to those guys. Chris Rocks, you know, Eddie Murphy came from there. So it was that kind of radar, you know, but I didn't take it as seriously as I needed to probably until late middle school, you know, when I could actually mm-hmm. watch it because it was kind of tabooish back in those days for kids to watch, basically. So if you could bring back any cast member from SNL from any year, who would you love to, to put on the show right, right now? Who do you think would be a great addition? I mean, I would love to see Phil Hartman work, you know, mm. I, I would just love to watch him, you know, you know, with a front row seat like I have to, to everybody else. Like I was able to work with Farley and then Belushi seems like just too distant, basically. And not to just harp on people that have passed, but mm-hmm. possibilities of me working with a lot of people, you know, just happens with like the 40th anniversary. Mm. And, I, you know, I feel like I can pretty much reach everybody except for you know phil Mm. you know i got a chance to meet him when did you get to work with chris farley he did a sketch on all that oh please welcome chef farley it was our chocolate sketch called cooking with randy now a little birdie told me that you have a special kind of hankering for chocolate well yes and mandy in the beginning but i think angelique was off the show by then so it was just cooking with randy i believe so oh my god what was that like the, one of the greatest days i've ever seen i learned like literally a wealth of career knowledge in three hours just watching a pro wow take direction but also do what he wanted it is lovely chef farley you know, the only thing I might add would be just a little bit I more. know, I know. Ketchup. You read my mind. Ketchup. So there's bits that you learned from him that you still incorporate into your work today. Not necessarily bits, but strategies for sure. Strategy. You know what I'm saying because I and I picked up on it when I got to SNL. It's like, you're on. You know what I mean? As soon as you get around funny-minded people that you work with that have something to do with maybe putting you in things or whatever, as soon as you walk through those doors around those people, you're on. It's time to be funny. It's not time to just, you know, be there. It's time to prove why you're there. So he came in and was immediately funny, you know, giving everybody what they expected, blah, blah, blah. So that part of, you know, being a professional goes a long way because, we still talk about him being one of the greatest to this day. And that takes serious dedication. So one last SNL question. When you created Black Jeopardy, did you know what a mark it would make on pop culture and that it would have such lasting power in the narrative? Welcome to Black Jeopardy, the only TV game show where the audience is in church clothes. (laughs) I did, but it wasn't my idea. It was Brian Tucker and and, uh, Michael Che's, you know, ideas Mm -hmm. like you know they collaborated and came up with that but at first i was like 
Yeah, if it works, this will be incredible. But it feels tabooish to tread on Will Ferrell kind of territory. You know what I mean? That was so epic. And Daryl's Sean Connery was so epic. I didn't want to like deflect from that because mm-hmm. that should be celebrated. Norm McDonald's, Burt Reynolds, you know, out of control. And then that should always be like, to me, held on a pedestal. But damn, if that shit wasn't just prime for fucking jokes. Let's see our categories. Big girls. Mm, I don't know. They out here saying, and as always, white people. And I'm like, anytime that there's an opportunity for that, I knew it from, you know, the first table read. Anything mm-hmm. that's joke after joke after joke is built for that show, basically. Um, we ask all of our guests one very important 90s question, which is, why do you think the 90s will never go away? Why are we still so obsessed with this decade? I mean, look how long the 80s lasted as far as, like, <laughs> be obsessed with it. You know what I mean? Because it was a trying to find itself kind of era. And the 90s was the exact same thing of that. I think, you know, this decade is probably a lot of that too. Like there's a lot of, you know, artistic expression happening with these young kids these days where it looks like, you know, they're trying to find themselves or we're trying to find themselves or trying to find these times. And I think the 90s was, you know, probably the same thing, trying to be different from the 80s, but we don't really know what the future holds or Y2K and somewhere in the middle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I have a game. It's yeah. called This or That. It's pretty simple. You choose this or that. Not explaining more than that. So <laughs> 90s girl group and Vogue or TLC? Oh, man. I know. It's going to be one of those, huh? Savage. I, mean, I guess I'm to go TLC, even though my brother's the Vogue fan, so I'll let him have that. Uh, 90s heartthrob, Fabio or Rico Suave? Fabio's a man, isn't he? I mean, Rico was like, I don't, I feel like he wasn't as into it as he should have been. Like Fabio was like, no, I'm Fabio. Like I got books, I'm in movies, you know what I'm saying? Like Rico was like, I got lucky that I was in the studio and I knew this guy. We say there's no wrong answers in this game, but that is false and you got it right. So good job. Okay, 90s Bob, Bob Ross or Bob Saget? <laughs> Well, I mean, I know Bob Saget. He's the sweetest man in the world, you know, even though his comedy is filthy, but he is beyond nice as a person. But Bob Ross is just a legend. So I'm going with the Ross, man. Nice. Okay. Blockbuster rental, the bodyguard or ghost? Well, I feel like I would rent the bodyguard just because Kevin Costner was a, a real badass in that movie. And Whitney Houston... To listen to what she does with that song, like that video, it makes you want to like pause the movie and then go watch the video because Mm. the video is so cold. It's like its own kind of movie itself, just how orchestrated her her vocal arrangement is and Mm -hmm. song and how brilliant she is and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I'm going to go with the bodyguard. That was the most thoughtful answer response it really was 90s toy beanie baby or furby beanie baby just because i used to like throw them throwing them like real far they had beans in them so you know they could get good distance <laughs> make out song i'll make love to you by boys to men or i swear by all for one i was an i swear guy that oh. those guys were my dudes for some reason like that video was like that lead singer guy, when he was running down the street, I'm like, well, I can run down the street a little better than that. So, <laughs> Love it. All right. You're doing great. You're almost done. Annoying neighbor, Steve Urkel or Kimmy Gibbler? <laughs> oh, she was great. She was so funny. I'm going with Urkel, man, just because I liked how how much he got underneath Carl's skin, basically. I would laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nickelodeon cartoon, Pinky and the Brain or Ren and Stimpy? Ren and Stimpy, without question. Pinky in the Brain was cool, but it wasn't as groundbreaking as Ren and Stimpy. And it wasn't its own thing like Ren and Stimpy. Like the weird zoom ins to like artistic photos of a version of what they just zoomed in on was brilliant. It was like a guy with a pimple and then they would zoom in to like a artistic drawing of a close up of a guy with that. It was the craziest, most random like celebration of grossness ever. 
they were just brilliant at it. I mean, you were supposed to watch that high, right? And no one said it. It can't but, hurt. Yeah. And last one, Nickelodeon <laughs> leading lady, Clarissa Darling or Alex Mack? Clarissa explains it all or Alex Mack? Were you a fan of either show? I was only because our shows would, you know, debut with Alex Mack. So we were friends with that cast. And she was in... um. Uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, Larissa Olenek. Yes, Larissa. She was just like, so we kind of started our Nickelodeon journey together. So I'm going with Alex Mack. You did beautifully. Thank you. Well, Keenan, thank you so much. And, thank and, you, And congratulations Kenan. on the pair of Emmy nominations and we'll be watching and rooting thank for you. Thank you so very much. I appreciate that. Okay, Andrew, a little bit of a surprise, left turn, unplanned. I think the least we can do is to give Kenan Thompson a bestie because, I mean, he was a really awesome interview. He was an awesome interview. And I really think he liked us, which makes me feel more generous towards him and my besties. <laughs> so I'm... You know, every time we interview someone, you leave the interview saying, I think they liked us. That's the most important, Jason. <laughs> right? With that in mind, I would like to give Kenan the bestie for being... The most well-adjusted former child star of the 90s. He's really a shining example of normalcy. That is a true story. And in fact, there will not ever be an E! True Hollywood story about Kenan Thompson, I think. He does just seem like a really... We always talk about this. They seem like they seem so normal. He seems soups normal and cool. Disappointingly so, which is terrible for us. But wonderful for him. And perhaps the only thing that's like maybe not quote unquote normal, I don't like the word normal, about Keenan, I mean, he, we do need to discuss like there was that that mega blinged out cross around his neck. I mean, that was like kind of a nice little moment that was, was just out of Zoom screen, right? But it was a nice little moment about a little bit of a little bit of fabulosity there. Well, soon he'll be replacing that diamond cross with our besties necklaces that go out to all the winners. <laughs> So, Andrew, unlike the Oscars, which is like about five hours long, this is the end of our own little award show that we completely made up and invented and voted on between the two of us. And it was fantastic, Jason. <laughs> really thrilling at every turn. Unexpected no. winners. Upsets for days. And for sure. And the goodie bag in my car is fantastic. Thank you for the Evian and um, Cartier fragrance. It's really going to be talked about for years and years to come. All right. Well, any award show, Andrea, can't be had without you know, an exhausting list of people to thank, agents and managers and all sorts of stuff. But really, I just have to quickly thank uh, Janine Rubenstein for being our awesome and beautiful Oscar announced voice at the beginning. That was so nice of her. Janine is the wonderful host of People Every Day, People's Daily Podcast. It's a must listen. And I just want to, um, I have a surprise for you. I can't let this go without giving you a bestie. Oh. I mean, you're my work bestie. And so let's take a moment and celebrate. And the winner of the bestie for best baby prom dress that you can still fit into today goes to Andrea Laventhal. Oh my God, I have nothing prepared. And by that, I mean <laughs> for you. <laughs> I would like to thank... My mom for letting me buy a thong, my first thong to wear under my baby dress so that I didn't have visible panty line at my senior prom. Mom, thank you. I um honestly have nothing to say to that. Okay, Jason. Well, I want you to take this the right way. So oh my God. listen to your bestie. And just remember, I am your number one bestie at work and you are my number three. So we are very important oh to each other. Well, I've been here a long time. So, you know, you have to move up the ranks. Okay. So I'm giving you the bestie for the super fan most likely to have a restraining order put on them by a famous soap opera actress. But then to actually meet said actress and win her over with your charm, your enthusiasm, and your unparalleled knowledge for their storyline 
and then they'll want to be your friends. And isn't that what this is all about is making celebrities love us and want to be our friends. I hope um, Lisa Renna's assistant is listening (laughs) because I doubt Lisa is. But I do want to thank you and the members of the um, Daytime Television Academy and the cast of um, Days of Our Lives and God and my um, television with rabbit ears growing up back in Arkansas. And your and- Bible group for only having one member, <laughs> you. Because if, if it really took up that much time, you would never be able to watch TV. <laughs> and I'd like to thank all the little people out there who are just dreaming one day of winning a bestie. It can happen to you too. But probably not. <laughs> <laughs> people in the 90s is hosted by me, Jason Sheeler, and Andrea Laventhal. It's produced by Jason Sheeler and Chris Jacobs. Executive produced by Kim Rittberg and David Flumenbaum. Edited by Chris Jacobs. Mastered by Erica Wong. And with production support by Elisa Sessler at People, Persia Verlin, Matt Sav, and Rachel King at Pod People. I'm Andrea Laventhal. Thank you for listening. And I'm Jason Sheeler. <laughs>